So if you want to start by turning to Luke 2, where Christine just read. All right. Um, I'm going to pray. If you'd pray with me before we look into the Bible. Father, I thank you for the phrase of that well-known Christmas carol, Joy to the World, the Lord Has Come. And Father, I pray that as we speak about those words this morning and reflect on what they mean, that more than just a song that we sing in passing that we hardly think about, that, Father, you would impact us with what that really means and the joy that is ours and the glory that has invaded our world because the Lord came. So, Father, teach us and bless our time this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'd like you to imagine the following scenarios. For those of you that are sports fans, Seattle Mariner Ichiro playing at Safeco Field strikes out. And Mariner fans cheer wildly. Hasselbeck, is that how you pronounce his name? Hasselbeck. The uh, Seattle Seahawks quarterback drops back to pass in the pocket. He's blindsided, breaks his leg, and Seahawks fans cheer wildly. Or Seattle Sounders goalie, any of you know his name? What? The wall. I want his real name. Casey Keller, thank you. I thought you said the killer. (laughs) Casey Keller lunges to make a save, a shot on goal he misses, and Sounders fans cheer wildly. Now, if you're awake, you'll know that something's wrong with those scenarios. Um, because we praise individuals for their successes, their triumphs, not for their failures. It would be a sick kind of sense of humor if we were uh, watching one of the Triple Crown races. Don't know what that is. Kentucky Derby, Preakness, Belmont Stakes, horse racing, yes. We're not talking about betting here. We're just talking about horse racing. Okay. You were watching one of the Triple Crown races. My wife and I just, my wife and I just watched Secretariat. It's a really, it's a great movie. Um, I think the last Triple Crown winner, maybe. I don't know. Anyway, uh, before most of you were born, Secretariat's coming coming around the home stretch probably one of the most amazing horses ever, comes to the home stretch, 20 lengths ahead of the horse behind it, stumbles, breaks its leg, falls to the turf, and people start cheering wildly. Or a race car driver 
um, at the Indianapolis 500 coming to the final lap and careens out of control and crashes his car and people cheer. Sixth sense of humor. If um, a person loses their job and has to declare bankruptcy and we think that's good, or a person loses their health and loses their job, so with those scenarios that don't make any sense, I want you to think, if you're trying to say, what is he trying to get at here? I want you to try and imagine why in the world the angels got so excited 2,000 years ago when a little baby was born in Bethlehem. I want you to imagine the same scenario. And this is a historical scenario. And imagine if those other things don't make sense to us, why in the world this scenario makes sense to us? And why angels would get so excited and say, glory to God in the highest. It's a poor, young, engaged couple that are forced to make a long journey from their home in Nazareth to their family of origin town in Bethlehem. It's when she's pregnant. They're engaged. And she's ready to give birth at any time. And the reason they go, the reason they're going at this last minute when she's just about ready to give birth is because the tyrannical king of the country that is like their slave master has forced them all to return to their towns of origin in order to register in order to pay more taxes. And despite Bethlehem being their town of origin, in in other words, where Joseph and Mary's relatives both originated from, when they arrive into town following the rumors that have preceded them, not one single person welcomes them into their home. And I want you to understand, these are all distant or not so distant relatives. It's their town of origin. And everyone who isn't a relative has left town to go to their town of origin. And so when Mary and Joseph, this poor, young, engaged couple, her being obviously pregnant, ready to give birth, not one person among their relatives welcomes them in to their home. And this despite the fact that it's the Middle East where hospitality is, is at its peak and even your enemy you're supposed to offer hospitality to. No one wants to do anything, have anything to do with an unwed, pregnant, and kind of crazy young girl who thinks that an angel has appeared to her telling her that she would give birth to the Messiah? A little loony there, huh? And so on a cold night in a deserted barn in a feeding trough, the politically correct word is manger, kept warm by strips of cloth that she wrapped around him, the Messiah is born. His only visitors, some poor shepherds who are 
probably sleep-deprived and claiming that they too have had some kind of angelic visitation. And so they show up having heard from these angels, glory to God in the highest. And my question for us this morning is, where is the glory in that story? Now, if you paid attention when Christine was reading, we could say, well, maybe the glory is in the governor, Quirinius. I did a little, uh, you know, Wikipedia is great. Uh, I found out a little bit about Quirinius. Quirinius happened to be a favorite of Emperor Octavian. In 12 BC, he was named a consul by Emperor Octavian. And in 4 BC, after he led a victorious military campaign, was awarded a Roman triumph, which was one of the most special things that anybody in the Roman Empire could be awarded. When the conquering in general is paraded through Rome itself, declared from that point on until he would die a man of triumph. He was given a special name. That was Quirinius. Is that where the glory is? In the story? Maybe it was, but even better than that, maybe it was this guy called Augustus. His real name is Octavian. And for those of you that don't know, Octavian was the emperor who defeated... Anybody know? Huh? Any... Octavian was actually the adopted son of Julius Caesar. Octavian was Julius Caesar's great nephew, adopted by him to be his heir. He was the one who defeated, for all of you who are romanticists, you're not going to like this, defeated Mark Antony and Cleopatra. He greatly expanded the Roman Empire. He was given, because of his military conquests and and under his rule, Rome probably reached its peak as an empire. He was given the name by the Roman Senate, Augustus, which means the exalted one. And after his death, Romans worshipped him as a god. And yet, amazingly enough, that's not where the glory is in the story, is it? I mean, Augustus, the exalted one, worshipped as a god by the Romans, Quirinius, you know, the man of triumph. And yet, amazingly enough, it's not their names. Year after year after year, and their stories that reverberate this time of year. But it's this baby. This baby born to this scandal-ridden couple. And so I want you to ask yourselves, where in this scandalous story of this illegitimate baby, or who's perceived to be this illegitimate baby, is the glory? Glory to God in the highest. I love the song we sang where we get to sing, the glory of God. And that's what the angels were singing, were shouting, were proclaiming with all of their being that night, glory to God in the highest. 
where's the glory? Three explanations that I'd like us to just think of this morning from this story. And to do that, I'd like you to turn to the book of Hebrews, which is farther on in the New Testament. And if again, if you have this Bible, it would be page 920. Page 920. Chapter 1. Thank you. And we're going to look at just verse 3 to start with. Hebrews chapter 1. And I hope that as the end result of this, as you ask yourself the story, where is the glory? Because I think so often we just sing it. Glory to God. You know, the uh, angels we have heard on high. Are we going to sing that later? Just we get to sing glory. You know, and just, I mean, in the midst of this story, where is the glory? Three explanations. The first one is his person. That's where the glory is, his person. I, I don't know if any of you heard. Did you hear that Obama was in Bremerton yesterday? Yeah, okay. He wasn't. Yeah, I was just kidding. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't him. It was, um, who was it? Um, it was Bono. That was who was in Bremerton yesterday. And, and you all think, oh, man, where is the glory in the story? It's his person. I was going to say it was Elvis who was in Bremerton yesterday, but <laughs> no, he's not. Okay. The glory in the story is number one in his person. Look at Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. I'm going to read it here. It says, the son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God and sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. In Luke chapter 2, it says, as the angels proclaim to the shepherds and sing out to them, he says, the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, is born today in Bethlehem. You get it? It wasn't Obama that showed up in Bethlehem, or if you're a Republican, Bush, or if you're into celebrities, you know. Okay, well, forget that one. (laughs) It was God. Do you get that? It was God who showed up in Bethlehem. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, was born today in Bethlehem. Emmanuel is the name that was given him in Matthew chapter 1. That's the big news. And what I want you to get, because so often what we don't get in our world today is we're so impressed with personalities, aren't we? You know? And we could deny it, but let's be honest. How many of you, you know, if you're naive... When I said, did you know Obama was in Bremerton yesterday? You thought, really? Okay, so now, so now that shows that you're a little personality driven, okay? <laughs> or if I would have said, you know, that your favorite movie star is going to be in Bremerton tomorrow? Or your favorite musician? Or, and you said, oh. It was God who showed up. 
in Bethlehem that day. And that's where the glory, first of all, is in the story. It's that God, his person. See, it's not in his position. Fundamentally, where the glory is, it's in his person. You see, if, if I was told that um, some favorite personality was going to show up in Bremerton and I showed up and, and here I thought they were going to be all important. Let's say it's you know, some wealthy person. Let's say it's Bill Gates and I show up and Bill Gates and I, I'm upstairs and somebody says, yeah, Bill Gates is downstairs. And I'd say, uh, no big deal. Well, I'd, I'd go down to meet him and i go down to meet him and, and he's in overalls. Um, or, you know, he's kind of, he's got paint all over his clothes. And I say, oh, pff, I don't want to talk to him. Not the way he looks. The glory in the story isn't that he showed up in a manger to a poor, unwed couple where the gal's pregnant and everybody's wondering what went on. It's that God showed up. That's where the glory, it's in his person. He is glorious, not and this is important, not because of where he was born, although that's important, it was prophesied, or who he was born to, but that's important because she was a virgin, or what it's that God showed up, the person, the Lord showed up. Never was this brought to me more dramatically than when we lived in the Philippines. And just before we had to leave, and we were in our Muslim village, and uh, among a people that had never heard this story before, it's really refreshing to be among a people that have never heard the story before. Right? That it's not old hat like, yeah, I've heard that before. Yeah. And to be among a people telling them hearing Luke chapter 2, 1 through 14, read for the first time in their own language, Allen, And sitting around hearing that, those words for the first time, it, it, was, it was wonderful. But then afterward, as one of these hajis, one of the religious leaders in our Muslim village had heard the words, the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord is born today, to hear him ranting and raving and yelling in the yard next door, there can't be two, there can't be two. Because he got it. Well, kind of in an incorrect way, but he got it that what he had heard was that the Lord had showed up. That God had showed up and he couldn't comprehend that the God who had showed up could be Jesus. Do we get that? Have we missed that? That 2,000 years ago, that baby was God. That God showed up. And so it's not the account of a delusional young girl or some sleep-deprived shepherds. It's the story of God become man in order to change our lives. That's the first one. The sun radiates God's own glory, expresses the very character of God. And that person showed up in Bethlehem. That's the glory of the story. The second one is, uh, but before I ask that, let me ask a question. So if God showed up, why did God 
have to show up with such a humble beginning, right? If God is really the King of kings and the Lord of lords, if He is God, the creator of the universe, why didn't He show up in the temple in Jerusalem? That, that was God's house. Why didn't He show up in the palace or in a rich person's mansion? Why did the God of the universe show up with such humble beginnings? Well, the good news is it really adds more glory to the story. Because the glory of the story isn't just in his person, but it is in his position, the way he showed up. Hebrews chapter 2, the next chapter, starting at verse 6. I want you to follow carefully because it, it has a simple little progression which is really important to get because in these few verses it kind of captures for us it moves for us from creation to the fall to the redemption or the purpose of Christ's coming starting at Hebrews chapter 2 verse 6 it says for in one place the scriptures say and it's quoting Psalm chapter 8 it says what are mere mortals that you should think about them that's us okay that's what we are mortals it says what are mere mortals God, that you should think about them. Or a son of man, that you should care for him. Yet you made them a little lower than the angels. And that means in power and strength and ability. Um, You made them a little lower than the angels, but crowned them with glory and honor and gave them authority over all things. That's how God created us. And it's just a little summary of God creating us in his image, us as human beings, to be in special relationship with him, crowned with glory and honor because we are in his image, created to be in special relationship with him. That's creation. Now when it says all things, it means nothing is left out. In, in, in other words, God didn't create us to shortchange us. God created us to be for eternity in beautiful and glorious relationship with him. But, the next phrase is important, but we have not yet seen all things put under their authority. So to say God created us to be in this amazing, glorious relationship with him, but then this phrase says, but something's wrong. But we have not yet seen all things put under their authority. In case you hadn't figured it out, everything's not glorious, okay? In case you missed that. Our world is a mess. Everything's not glorious. Everything isn't beautiful. And we who were created to be in this glorious, beautiful relationship with God, we have struggles and we have problems. And in Romans chapter 3 says what? We've sinned and fallen short of that glory. We don't see things as they are. Things aren't as God intended them to be. That's the fall. Verse 9. This is beautiful. It says, What we do see is Jesus. I like it. What we do see. We don't see things as God intended them to be. But what we do see, and in others, what we have seen so far is Jesus, who was given a position a little lower than the angels. 
And what that means, he was made a human being like us. That's how we were described earlier. God, creator of the universe, king of kings and lord of lords, was made to be like us. Given a position a little lower than the angels. And because he suffered death for us, he is now crowned with glory and honor. That's where the... That's where the story in Bethlehem brings such glory to God because it's not just that the person of God came and dwelt among us, but it's how he came and why he came. He came like us, identifying with us in our sin and our separation so that he could rescue us. Did you see, um, I don't know, maybe it's three or four weeks ago in the, in the news that a bunch of celebrities um, stopped tweeting? I hope you pay attention. This is important stuff, okay? <laughs> a bunch of celebrities stopped tweeting until $1 million was raised for AIDS charity. Um, and I, I think it's great that they're raising $1 million for AIDS charity. But does it matter to you that all these celebrities stopped tweeting until that happened? Come on, be honest. It did matter to some of you. And the reason it mattered to some people is because they raised a million dollars because they wanted their celebrities tweeting again. We we like news about important people. We need to be honest here, you know. We like news about important people. That's why lots of monies are raised going to Haiti or important people adopting orphans or giving money to a certain cause because it shows us that they're kind of like us and they care about what we care about, right? They identify. Years ago, one of the most impactful things in the beginning of Habitat for Humanity, which is a wonderful charity. Does anybody know what probably the most impactful thing that made Habitat for Humanity an important national charity? Hmm? They built houses, but Jimmy Carter, a president of the United States, building houses building a hammer, building houses, and Habitat for Humanity became nationally a very important charity. That's great. But what I want you to get from this story and what brings amazing glory to this story, it's not just about a celebrity or an important person kind of identifying with us in order to get something from us. It's God humiliated. That's exactly what happened at the incarnation. God humiliated. Don't you think it would be kind of humiliating for the God of the universe born to a poor couple rejected by your own relatives? Any of you ever been rejected by a relative? All of the relatives. 
put out in the barn when you're ready to give birth. God humiliated in order for us to be redeemed. Now that's identification. (laughs) That's identification. And that's the glory of the story. God came. God humbled. And the third reason, the third thing that we see in the glory of the story, in Hebrews chapter 2, look at the next verse, verse 10. As we read on, I'm going to just keep reading from where I was. Because he suffered death for us, he is now crowned with glory and honor. Yes, by God's grace, Jesus tasted death for everyone. God for whom and through whom everything was made. Meaning it's all about God. He is God. We'll we'll wait a sec. God for whom and through whom everything was made, and this is the phrase I want you to get, chose to bring many children into glory. That's the purpose. It was for his people. And so the glory of the story, this is the full cycle of the story. It's his person. Come to a humble position in order to restore his people to the glory that they were created to enjoy. Restored to the image, restored to the relationship that he created us for, and yet we fell so far from, we all fell so far from because of our sin. Separated from the God of glory, the God of the universe came, humbled himself, became like us, identified with our sin, bored on the cross, He said on the cross, it is finished, paid in full, so that we could be rescued, redeemed, and raised up again to what he created us for. Glory. And that's the glory of the story. It's our glory. Because he was willing to give up his glory. So that we could eternally share his glory. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And if if we see the glory of the story, we see that the glory of the story is, Daniel quoted it last week, it says that he who was rich for our sakes became poor so that we through his poverty humiliation could be rich. It's a beautiful phrase in the Psalms that said, he stooped down to make us great. That's the incarnation. That's the glory of the Christmas story that the God of the universe stooped down, humbled himself, identified with us so that we could be rescued and raised up to the glory that we were created for, for eternity. To God be the glory. This is another hymn. To God be the glory. Great things he has done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son who yielded his life and atonement for sin and opened the life gate that all may go in. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord is the chorus. Glory to God in the highest. 
and the angels got it. One more verse. You're in the book of Hebrews. The next book is James. And the next book after that is 1 Peter. And just in closing, I want to read three verses from 1 Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 10. 1 Peter 1.10. This salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you and the salvation I just described to you. They wondered... What time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterward. And so the prophets for hundreds of years as they prophesied of the coming and the dying and the resurrecting and the return of this Savior, the prophets wondered, who is he going to be and when is he going to come? Verse 12, they were told that their messages were not for themselves, but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And this is what I want you to get. It is all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. In, in my... The other version of my Bible, it says these are things, this salvation is what angels long to look in. They long to understand because it's for us. The glory of the story, it's for us. And yet the angels got it. Glory to God in the highest. Glory to God in the highest. The baby born in Bethlehem, almighty God who became vulnerable man in order that he might purchase for us again the glory that God created us for. Have you got that? Have you got it? It's for each one of us. That glory in the person of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, uh, how can we say thanks for what you've done for us. Jesus, how can we express our appreciation and our love, our adoration for what you went through for us, God of the universe, humiliated that you might redeem us and restore us to what you created us for. Oh God, thank you so much. Open our eyes, our hearts, our ears to get it to rejoice in it, that it would change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.